House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Joining us now is a uh, filmmaker um, and uh, um, our guest today. I, I was going to say something else, but I didn't. So uh, <laughs> we've got Sean Rett. Thank you for being here, Sean. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Um, wow. Um, so uh, making a murder comes back. Um, so now, <laughs> and now you've been working on a, your own film, and I, I have, have to mention it's called "Convicting a Murderer." And um, what's the purpose of that? Like, what, what, what were you trying to do uh, when you were putting that together? Well, uh, what the long and short of it is, I watched "Making a Murderer" season one, and I was really interested and really entertained. And it was, you know, it was good for filmmakers like me who do true crime. And it uh, broke new ground, and uh, I was excited by it, and I watched it and was moved. And then I started doing some studying and learned that uh, in many ways I, as a viewer, was misled. And they, they left a lot of information on the table. And they also steered people the wrong way in several instances. Yeah, in as much as, you know, this is, this was, they, they don't consider themselves journalists, but this was advocacy, advocacy journalism without the transparency and with some, some really unethical, uh, strands in, in, in which they went when they told this story. So I, I, I always waited for someone to come correct the record. Um, after a couple of years, it didn't appear anybody was going to do it. And I said, well, um, we're up for the challenge, and uh, that's why we set out to uh, to kind of make a more complete version of this story. And that's that's really kind of um, it's frustrating for me because I look at this as um, um, I, I watched it as well, and I sort of I came away thinking, yeah, they you know probably did it and or didn't do it, and they were framed, and the cops were in it, and they, they make it look really. Um, really bad but you know when you interview people like Ken Kratz and stuff like that you realize that there's more evidence and things have been changed on the, on the film or the series um, to make it look one way when it was another and, and, and that's not so that's no longer a documentary it's no longer journalism no it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like the old show back in the 80s that no one will remember called not necessarily the news Oh, just, I remember that. Yeah, just take those sound bites and uh, have Ronald Reagan saying that his, you know, pants were on fire and that he wanted yeah. jelly beans. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. Uh, some of the editing, some of the editing is that bad, and they won an Emmy for editing, creative editing. <laughs> yeah, well, it was creative. But when you do that, um, so you see, for me, it's too Alex Jonesy. I mean, as soon as you do that, you've created fake evidence in a sense. You, you've created a narrative that's not real. So how can we trust anything in the, in, in the whole series? And the, the weird thing is they're not asking you to trust them because once they were confronted with, um, I mean, just the beginnings of what people found out as far as their editing and their storytelling, they said, hey, whoa, whoa, we're not journalists. <laughs> we created entertainment and, and uh, everybody is wildly entertained. This is, you know, 40 million people watch this thing. It turned Netflix around a little bit. They were kind of stagnant, and uh, they began to grow again, and, uh, you know, it had a profound effect. 
Well, guess what? It also had a profound effect on the lives of these guys you painted as crooked cops and crooked prosecutors who set out to bury these these poor guys. Um, you know, they, they, they did a lot of things that were uh, that, that affected people. They, you know, they left me with the impression that the Averys were poor. Mm-hmm. That's not true. They had, they left me with the impression that Manitowoc was a bleak, kind of like sad town, kind of like an Ozarky, you know, meth paradise type of place. It's just mm-hmm. the, the picture you paint for yourself, and that's not true at all. It's a beautiful town. And um, they're just there's just like item after item. What? There's so much that we, we literally have meetings now deciding what to include and what not to include, you know, because we don't want to overwhelm people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know what's really, but what's really irritating is um, I've had Ken Kratz and um, prosecutor from, from that county. I've had quite a few, and uh, we just interviewed Ken Kratz two days ago, and he's going to, uh, it'll be on next week's show. Uh, we actually have to buffer it because... Um, We'll get thousands of really nasty um, hate mails, so to speak, and and I don't know how we're going to overcome that. How are we going to make people realize they're not even going to listen to what Ken says? They're just going to call him a lot of names. Yeah, with Ken, we got a, <laughs> we've got we've got an internal saying: even when he wins, he loses. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, because. Um, you know, he, we, we, you know, we thought that the pace, especially of making murder two, was a bit slow. You know, watching Grandpa eat lettuce for thirty seconds, yeah. maybe, <laughs> maybe was a little too art house. Yeah, and we were going to go with a faster pace. So one of the things we wanted to do to go with a faster pace was um, these people who just salivate and say, "Man, if I could just get at that guy," we're we're connecting them with the guy. We're putting them in a room. And letting them go at them and have these kind of like debates and discussions. So we had a guy come in um, and we got a courthouse, we a uh, courtroom, and uh, you know the guy made some some points, and Kratz made some points. But Kratz, even when he was right, he he just sometimes does it in a way that leaves people sort of disliking him. You know, like like of course I'm right, you jerk. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's true. But, it's true. I told him that. Yeah. yeah, it's because he's so frustrated. He's just past the limit of uh, of being nice because uh, you know his uh, you know son's life has been threatened a hundred times and his you know wife's been insulted a thousand, ten thousand times, whatever. I've got I've got I think thirty seven CDs, audio CDs of threats, death threats. Uh, made to people in this case oh that, we're gonna, that we're going to weave in every now and then just for flavor. <laughs> just for flavor. And, yeah. <laughs> add some texture. And uh, well, like, I, like I said, that's better than Paul chewing lettuce. Yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, just the fact that these people all over the world got so enmeshed in this case is, is amazing to me. Another fascinating thing to me is that, you know, when we're going to tell everybody, oh, the blood vial was BS, and this, you know, Stephen really did kill this cat, and he didn't just, cheese, you know, steal a cheese sandwich. He really tore up this business and so, some of these other things. You know, he, part of the wrongful conviction time was for a, a legitimate 
kidnapping where he pointed a gun at a child. Um, you know, we're, we're going to tell them all that stuff, but the funny thing is the hardcore truthers, like on Reddit and, and Twitter, they already know this. They've, yeah. moved, they've moved way beyond anything they saw in Making a Murderer. And I said this in the press in another interview a couple weeks ago, and I, I checked on Twitter, and of course, they're like, of course we moved on. You know, that's old news, because this is their life. This, they mean, like, every... I mean, they've really got their finger on the pulse of this case, and they've got new theories all the time. And uh, so so it's, it's just... It, the funny thing is, Making a Murderer started all this, but they know that most of what they saw is horse crap. So, but they're still, you know, they just it launched this rocket. You know, I don't, I'm giving you too many metaphors here. Once that, train, <laughs> once that train left the station, no one was going to be able to hit the brakes. It's just a, like a social phenomenon. Well, it's harder to unconvince people of something than it is to convince them. So I think a lot of people are trapped in that because that's the first place they went, the first thing they heard. Yeah, so we thought something that would be useful is interviewing a few people who did unconvince themselves. <laughs> and, uh, you know, converts. Yeah. And, you know, to, to, the, to some of these folks, these are like, this would be like joining the Communist Party in the 60s, you know, mm -hmm. to, to, to say, wait a minute, I was wrong about the cops or whatever. So we have them explaining their thought process and how they, you know, what, what raised the red flags. And, and that doesn't mean we necessarily agree with them. That doesn't yeah. mean that doesn't mean we think Stephen Avery should stay in prison. I, I sure don't think Brendan Dassey should stay in prison. I can tell you that, uh, no matter what happened. And but but you know we are it's just part of what we're kind of uh, using to show people this this whole phenomenon that took place. Now, do you think that Brendan Dassey should be out of prison? Uh, because he actually had nothing to do with it, or do you think that maybe? He was involved, but he's he was like uh, mentally incapable of of handling himself. He was, uh, you know, prosecuted badly. You know that interrogation was kind of rough on him, and he was he was alone throughout the interrogations and things like that. Do you think that's the the issue? I think my issue is that he was he's mentally incapable of initiating anything like this, in my opinion. Uh, if he were if he was involved, he was a follower. He was taking or he was subordinate to his uncle if this happened that way. And um, he's done enough time. He's not going to get out and go stalk and kill anybody. He's going to go fishing and play video games and go to WrestleMania. Uh, you know, I, I don't think uh, I don't think society has anything to worry about uh, with the release of Brendan Dassey. And, you know, I'll tell you one ch chilling thing. Uh, you know, we interviewed Len Kaczynski, right? Uh, who, interestingly enough, I didn't realize who making a murder. He's a judge. Well, he's an inmate now, but mm. he's a judge, and he was also a lieutenant colonel, uh, and he was a he was a military prosecutor. But um, he, uh, well, he I say he's an inmate. He he was he was put in jail the other day over some some allegations. Um, but I interviewed him and I said, you know, do you feel bad for Brendan? And do you feel, you feel like, you, I mean, do you wish he were out now? And he looked in the camera and he said, not particularly. <laughs> and I was safe. like, I was like, holy moly, man, this is your chance to, 
to save a little face, and he was he's just so dry and and I guess clinical about the whole thing. He's like, nah, nah. Well, he's probably nah. safer, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just doesn't. It's like he's ambivalent, like totally indifferent. So did he ever? Here, there's somebody who with no empathy. Yeah. You know, so that, that to me is sad that he had, at least for a short time, he had an attorney who really didn't have much empathy for him. Yeah. And made that made that terrible mistake of leaving him with that yeah. wannabe cop investigator, you know. Well, I think that ruined his reputation. I mean, but that part of it's all true, right? Yeah, sure it is. Yeah, yeah. So that was... Now, he, you know, yeah. Brendan, Brendan admitted things before that interview. Yeah. And he came up with things. I mean, he was... You could say he was led because that's the Reed method, and then, you know they 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 suggest somewhat during interviewing, but uh, he came up with things without being led. Mm-hmm. Um, also, so people have to take that into consideration. But whatever happens, this is enough time for him. And and uh, Sergeant Colburn, that was another person that was vilified. Um, what can you say about him? Well, what people don't realize, yes, he was a witness in the wrongful conviction case because he took a phone call when he was uh, when he was a, a, a corrections officer before he was really a, a full fledged cop. He took a call where somebody said, "I think you got the wrong guy," and he forwarded the call to to the detective bureau. And when he heard about Avery being found innocent or you know being exonerated. He volunteered that information. Hey, I took this call. So, in a sense, he was a witness for Avery. You know, him on his own coming forward would would help Avery's case. And everybody acts like, oh, he was on the hook. He was going to lose millions uh, in this lawsuit. And, of course, he planted a key. Well, no, no. He, he, he believes Stephen Avery is innocent of the Bernstein rape. And he was fascinated that the DNA could exonerate him. He thought there was a whole new era coming uh, that was going to make crime, you know, easier to fight, this DNA. And, uh, you know, he just he just didn't have any vested interest in marrying Stephen Avery. And then the way they portrayed him as being involved in the old case, it was a real mischaracterization. Now, what are some of the other egregious misrepresentations you could cite in the documentary for people who may not be familiar with the truth about the case? Well, I can just tell you that we're going to show actual footage of some some depositions and some courtroom scenes, and that we're going to show Making a Murderer One's edit. And mm-hmm. it's going to, I believe it's going to make viewers' blood boil, because it's not an accident it's not for the sake of entertainment. It is. It is a deliberate, misleading uh, direction that they took uh, with people, and, and uh, I, I was angry uh, when I saw some of this stuff, and I think a lot of viewers will be too. What do you think the reason is for that? Like when you say it's deliberately misleading, which I agree. Um, it, was it because they wanted to take down cops? Um, because, like, what was their no. motive? Uh, they, I think I think the cops were, um, you know, damage on the periphery, 
collateral damage. Uh, they wanted to get their guy out. Um, you know, we have prison recordings of them talking to him, saying, look, we, we want this to help, and, you know, hang in there, buddy. Uh, you know, they came and left every day with the family. They were embedded with the family. You know, they picked sides. It's okay. I picked sides, too. Mm -hmm. But you have to be transparent about it, and you have to be fair. And they were they were neither. They were not transparent as far as their advocacy, and they were they weren't fair. And they I'm going to go as far as to say they weren't honest. Yeah, and that's really it's really disappointing because uh, it's going to change people's perspective of when they watch a documentary, and it's going to be so easy to to uh, see something in the future that's a documentary and say oh yeah it's probably lies or it's lies or it's fake news you know that'll mm. uh because right. look, look making a murderer did it you know what i mean it's kind of and yeah and it was a, and it was one of the biggest uh documentaries ever uh on crime there was the jinx and making a murderer the jinx was honest yeah mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> making a murderer was not was not honest okay those are the two biggest true crime docs um so, you know, half of this is about the case, and half of it, we got it. We've got to correct the record, and we've got to make some ground rules. Because I see myself, and this probably sounds haughty, but I see us as the new long form deep dive journalists. Young people want visual news, they want to hear it or they want to see it, okay? And, uh, they want authenticity, and, uh, you know, newspapers and magazines, besides the fact that they're dying, they aren't spending the money on real journalism anyway. They're letting all their good people go because they cost money. And then when you go to the networks, all they're doing is choir preaching. You know, it's all, you know, yeah. Trump all day or, you know, <laughs> loving them or hating them or whatever that gets their numbers and sells their, sells their ad spots. So there's a gap. There's a gap, and we have this opportunity to to become the journalists, to fill in this gap. And when one of the biggest, most important documentaries pulls the crap that they pulled, we have to correct the record. It's probably going to bore some people. And, you know, who made us arbiters of, you know, of what's honest? Well, we're just saying it should, they should have held the journalistic standards. And it, they should have just, or at least disclosed certain things and not lied. And, and, you know, that's why the record has to be corrected. Just as documentary nerds, we really feel the need to do this. Well, well, who's going to regulate this or just describe what should be done? Because this isn't the first one. You know, when I uh, was doing interviews for that Soaked in Bleach with the Kurt Cobain, you know, mm -hmm. death, and then, <laughs> and then they, they, they did the same thing. They actually edited it, faked, faked different answers. They, they totally changed that whole thing. And even when we interviewed people that were used on the film, they said, well, that isn't what I said. This isn't what I did. Um, so it's not the first one to do it. Making a murderer is just kind of the most prominent one. How, how are we going to get that, rein that, and put that in line? Because there's a lot of money to be made by promoting a conspiracy. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, Oliver Stone... You know, even exactly. with even with scripted features, you can do it. Um, I think that it's going to be up to the audience. I think they want authenticity, and uh, 
uh, I think that, uh, you know, there's still people out there who can vouch for the credibility of what you're doing or say, hold on. I mean, when Making a Murder came out, the New Yorker, two weeks later, had a long-form article saying, hold on, before you make fools of yourselves, you need to know this about Making a Murder and about Murder of Teresa Halbach. You know, they came out with this piece, but guess what? You know, not that many people around the world, unfortunately, read The New Yorker. Yeah. I read the piece. That's what started me on my path of, like, wait a minute. There was never anything to the blood? That was almost a whole episode, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I, I, the, the thing ended, and I'm, like, wondering why the blood wasn't in court. And it's because it was a non-issue. And they knew it was a non-issue, but they left it in. Um, so... I, I, the arbiters and the people who decide what's legit and what's not are going to be the public, and I think hopefully a lot of eyeballs get on what we're doing because we're going to make them more cynical. No well, and all of this begs a question. I just have to ask you: the changes in the you know editing people's statements and leaving out important information, selective omission, and all that. Doesn't that indicate that the people who made the documentary are aware of the problem that you're talking about? They know what they're doing, right? In my opinion, yes. Now, Andy Colburn, whose courtroom testimony was changed in Making a Murderer, filed suit. I don't know if this suit's going to survive. There are a lot of procedural reasons it may or may not. But if he has to stay in court, they're going to show an edit where they... They ask him a question, a very important question, and a Making a Murderer viewer saw him say yes, but he never said yes. He never answered the question. Mm-hmm. They took the yes from a different question. That's like, <laughs> that's beyond, that's not a mistake. That's, and that's not entertainment. That's, well, yeah. That's just egregious. <clears throat> and, and speaking about, um, uh, uh, Losers, but um, Joseph Evans Jr. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now I I just roll my eyes because you know, <laughs> I, I think it's laid out just way too obvious. First of all, the guy says one thing. You know, he gets a confession from uh, Avery in prison about how he murdered Halbeck, and then all of a sudden there's a reward, and then the man's writing a letter saying I did it, and here's my deposit slip. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Let me tell you, here's, let me, I'm just, I'm going to tell you, I did, I did press for two and a half weeks on that, okay? Mm. Uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. Fox, uh, you know, Access Hollywood, all these TV shows. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something I didn't tell anybody. He sent that letter, and the letter had all these, like, all this supplemental information. And we had, we were trying to fact check the letter. And part of it was, oh, Stephen had a bag that uh, had some stuff in it that he ran and buried, okay? That kind of came out. I don't know if it was directly in the letter, but it was something that we were investigating. And then we also know that the detectives up north um, uh, in Marinette County saw a bag when they first questioned him, never checked it. And then next time they pulled over that vehicle, the bag was gone. So we're like, okay, if we're gonna have any breakthroughs, let's, let's we probably have to look for that bag. And we thought of a few logical places he could have buried it. We had professional metal detectors, 
evidence techs, we spent thousands and thousands of dollars looking for potential stuff. We were about to get ground-penetrating radar, all right, and pull it through the woods in the areas where, where this stuff may have been buried. Just to just to find it or not find it or whatever. We did all this crap based on this clown's letter, and, I, and there were some other things in it that I just thought told us that maybe the letter wasn't legit. But we had to check it out. We're trying to be really thorough, and <clears throat> so I, when I, the, the reason for the call was for me to say, you know, Stephen Avery told you you couldn't talk about the caves anymore because Netflix was making a documentary. And I was going to say to him, look, Netflix wasn't making a documentary. They acquired this years later. Mm-hmm. A couple of young filmmakers were making a documentary. So why did you say that? That's an example of something being informed by hindsight, which tells me this whole damn thing, this whole letter may be informed by hindsight. Hindsight. So I had this whole case ready to go against him. I start the call. And he's like, uh, let me tell you what happened here. Uh, you know, I was in the area. He lived in Michigan. He was in the area. <laughs> went to the Avery Salvage Yard, the window, Hit Teresa with his car. Her head hit a rock. He panicked because he was on so many drugs. And he uh, decided to frame the homeowner. Who, and he didn't know who it was. And he goes, like, through every little point trying to show that he framed Stephen Avery, and, he, and of course his motive, now we know, was he was trying to get his wife that $100,000 reward, his girlfriend, killed his wife, his, his girlfriend now on the outside, he was trying to get her a hundred grand, you know, toward a house or whatever, and uh, it was just the most lame brain thing, but you've got to take it seriously, because, I mean, we had to report it, because he's a killer, um, he was free when Teresa was killed, and he's he's there in the area. So it's worth it's it's worth you know a little bit of a little bit of follow up. So we you know we just told Newsweek about it. And of course, everybody went crazy. But I was you know I was upset because we wasted a lot of money, um, thinking well maybe there's something to this letter. We'll, we'll try to try to back it up with something and uh here you know there was and he admits that the letters total bs like you know at the beginning <laughs> of that call so like who would believe him anyway you know yeah. what i mean yeah well you know it's just kind of one of those things uh you know people will jump on it and uh take it somewhere that it probably never deserved to be so what what yeah, do you well, yeah. t- well t- you know okay it got it, it it, it shines some light on our project, but it, we, we, you know, we, we, I put it out just to get it out there and make it a beat in our story. We weren't going to make it a big thing. And it still won't, you know, but. Uh, it, no, it's, but it's important. You know, it's an important aspect to show that, yeah. you know, all the, all the crap that's going on around the case and the people trying to, I don't know, make money off of it or make fame and how much BS came out and things that people don't know but they hear these stories on the internet and believe so it's an important project to put out that uh, no these this is what the facts are you know right so um, one thing I don't that I have never really resolved in my mind 
is why uh, Kratz convicted both Dassey and Avery on different sort of timelines of, of, of the murder of, of Hellback. So I, I'm sort of confused, you know, if that was just a... Because he won't really get into that, and, and I don't know why. I, is it, do you think it's because he just wanted to get them both convicted and it didn't matter if he kind of altered the stories on both? Yeah, we, you know, we, we confront him with that since he sat for interviews. And uh, I, I think he made an effort to answer the question. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, it's a, that's one of the tougher ones to, uh, uh, you know, to deal with. Yeah. Well, it doesn't mean that they weren't guilty. It just, I'm just wondering if this is a common tool that prosecutors use to make sure they get people convicted. Because if, if he had tried to prosecute them both at the same trial, it, it wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that, you, you may be right. I mean, you're probably right. Yeah. I, he, he, I, he may, I'm, I'm trying to remember what he said, because there's, there's so much information related to this. You know, to, to the project compared to our typical you know, film, this is like yeah. ten, 10 finished hours. Uh, you know, when it's all said and done, I, I, I think he said uh, they got a better understanding of some things. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, 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 his answer will be in the in the docu series. Yeah. yeah, and then that's something for people to look for. <laughs> yeah. So now, what is it that you want people to get out of this? What is the you know at the end of the day? Um, your project, your docu-series gets out there and people watch it, what is it that you want them to walk away with? I want them to walk away with a full understanding of what happened. I want them to walk away with a law enforcement perspective because those guys didn't cooperate with making a murderer. And par- partially because they were still working and now you know we got a little lucky that they retired. Um, and, uh, and we want people to to, to not take reporting at face value until they've really until until people reporting have really earned their trust um, you just can't always accept it at face value we want people to be skeptical and what it comes down to also is that <clears throat> if Stephen Avery actually is innocent and he was framed they should be able to make that case with the truth right absolutely and, and if we this is what I told when at the beginning of this thing when I when I got the law enforcement guys to agree to be interviewed. I said if we find some evidence that you guys did wrong, I said we will march the guy out with his attorneys. We'll 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 run to them with the evidence, uh, like we did run or like we ran to them with the evidence thing. You know whether they can they mock it or not. You know we're not going to withhold something that could be that relevant. Um, you know, so, but just, just do it, do it fair and square. And, um, and, you know, and, and I think it'll help to hear from these law enforcement guys too, you know, on some of these issues that people bring up. When, when is your plan date for release? You know, we, we're making it on spec. So, um, Meaning, uh, we'll be done in March, and then we're going to show it to all the streamers. Some have reached out already. Of course, you know, people want... Netflix has 40 million fans of this thing. 
Mm-hmm. So they wa- they want 40 million people to sign up for their service and try it out for free, and maybe this is the magnet or whatever. But I'd I'd love it if this were on Netflix, to be honest with you. But mm-hmm. uh, we've we've got to choose the home um, for this. Netflix, you know, has purchased everything else we made crime wise, um, so uh, it would make sense. But anyway, I mean, they trust they trust our work. Yeah. Um, so, but but who knows? It'll end up somewhere. Um, probably, and I'm sure we'd have a deal done by June, and then it's totally up to them when they want to run it. Yeah. Now, yeah, and I want to mention that. Now, you've got uh, a couple of other features that you've done that are um, quite good. Um, your white boy uh, was a pretty amazing uh, documentary, and they actually made a movie of it as well. Um how did you get involved in that story? Uh, I just thought it was a fascinating story, and uh, wanted to tell wanted to tell the story. Uh, got access to Rick himself, the subject. They were doing they were doing the Hollywood thing simultaneously, and we actually cooperated with each other really well. It was just surreal having uh, you know the screenwriter Scott Silver giving us notes, and this is the guy who wrote Joker. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, he he he, uh, you know, he's, he's sitting there telling us how to make the story better. Maybe that's why people like it so much. We got so much professional help, uh, like uh, like big time Hollywood help in uh, shaping the story. But uh, you know, everybody loves that film. It's a nice, pretty simple film about an over sentencing and political payback that you can see right now on Stars. Netflix just uh, just bought a license too, so it's actually going to end up on Netflix soon. Well, or at some point, like in the next year, year and a half, and it's going to be on Netflix worldwide also. Um, and then the other film we did um, that's a little more complicated, but it was our first wrongful conviction, was A Murder in the Park, and that's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a crazy double wrongful conviction, meaning a guy was wrongfully convicted, and to get him out, they wrongfully convicted somebody else. It's an insane story, and uh, it, it it ended up uh, you know becoming a lawsuit and everything, and uh, you know and re- changed the way they look at these cases a little bit in uh, in Illinois. Um, and it was the case; the original case was the case that ended the, ended the death penalty in Illinois. So it was really really important, powerful stuff. And then we've got some other things. Uh, you know, we, we actually I mean, we're always like uh, trying to trying to you know correct narratives, and we've even got a film out that uh, that questions what America has done to, to to the gospel. That's called American Gospel, AmericanGospelFilm.com. It's on every platform, and that film even even you know approaches how American churches, a lot of them, have distorted the gospel and how we're exporting that distorted gospel abroad. So we're, we, we try to be like uh, people who correct the record, you know, no matter how high stakes yeah. the, the subject matter, you know, so. That's really uh, important. Yeah, we think so. I, I, I think, and so what, now do you have a, a website or a place that people can go and find out information about the movies you make? Yeah, transitionstudios.com. We, forgive us, it's a sparse website. We're working on it now, but there are some trailers and teasers for a few of our films. 
And then uh, all of our projects have pretty robust Facebook pages. Convicting a Murderer on Facebook, um, A Murder in the Park on Facebook, White Boy on Facebook. Uh, they all, you know, people can sit there and debate and... and uh, Scream at each other. Yeah, that's what they do. <laughs> Is there, you know, pretty polarizing stuff. There's no doubt about it. I made, uh, when, we, we when we announced uh, this project, just on the name, I gave it this working title, Convicting a Murderer. I don't know what it's going to end up being called. Um, but uh, just on the name, I, I swear to God, I had about a thousand enemies in 16 <laughs> minutes after this project was announced. You know, on the title alone, I, I should have thought that I should, I should have written, you know, "Untitled Teresa Hallbach Project." You know, <laughs> I shouldn't have just like come up with something catchy. That's probably a mistake. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I have that all my all the time. You know the love-hate relationship with the with the, with the listeners. You know, but yep. You know they keep coming back, no matter what I call them. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, that's what we have. We have these. You know, people like boycott this project. I will never watch this thing. It's an infomercial for the cops, which couldn't be further from the truth. And uh, and then you know the other day, a few people said, "Who are we kidding? We're going to watch every minute of this thing, and we're at least going to tear it apart." Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is I think is an honest assessment. Yeah, that's fair enough. Hey, now, what's your opinion of Kathleen Zellner? And yeah, I was going to ask about that too. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, she, we've, we're the only filmmakers who have had a hand in, you know, getting three people out of prison in one way or another. We, we've done it directly. Like in the case of Cleve Heidelberg, my partner Andy Hale got him out. Uh, in A Murder in the Park, we had a hand in a guy getting out. Hate to spoil it. And in White Boy, we had a hand, uh, you know, hand in him, you know, at least getting out of Michigan. We 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 think we affected what happened a little bit. So we love changing history. We love fixing the narrative. We love seeing guys walk out of prison. I don't think anybody's walked more people out of prison than Kathleen Zellner. She's very good at what she does. And, man, I don't bet against her. She may find a way to get him out. Um, she's well, I was curious to ask, do you think that she was influenced into taking this case largely on seeing the documentary? Because it seems to me, and I, you know, I don't have anything disparaging to say about her either, but it just seems to me like when she first took the case, there were a lot of, uh, boisterous claims about what she was going to do and when she was going to do them, and it doesn't seem like a lot of that's been panning out. You know, she's she's walked a lot of people out of prison on a, lo a lot of legitimate stuff that was wrong. Um, you know, she was she was on the right side of it. Um, I don't know if she's on the right side of this one, and she did come into it late. And she came into it when it was almost too late to do anything. Mm -hmm. um, so I say don't count her out, but I mean I'm not gonna. I, I I'm not, I I'd be guessing if I knew what her motives were. Um, you know, it doesn't doesn't hurt to uh, doesn't hurt to be involved with this case um, and get your name out there. But she's I think she's doing it all pro bono, and uh, so I. I think uh, it's my understanding that she knew about this case before the documentary. 
okay. and uh, chose not to get involved at that point. That's I I I don't remember who told me that, so that that may I may be wrong, but I think she knew about it, and I think that after this got big, is when she said, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a go." I believe that's the timeline. If I'm wrong, she'll tweet at her action. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, she'll be on you. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, you know, but I, I will say I certainly um, am I'm entertained by um, Zellner and uh, Kratz going back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, uh, yeah, they're not going to a Cubs game together. No. <laughs> um, and you know, uh, she. Uh, I was trying to think where I was going with that, but at any rate, um, you know, she, uh, she she did promise a lot of stuff at the beginning. I think she's really trying for him in earnest, and uh, I, you know, I like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't completely bet against her. No, no, no. It's still there's still a lot to do, and uh, it 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 would be a huge challenge in 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 the place that she's in, right? And uh, Wow, what a case. Right. Well, um, now we're going to have, um, I'm going to get uh, your website and uh, some, maybe one of your trailers up on our website, help promote it as well. And uh, anything we can Appreciate do to help. That. I mean, this is, um, I think this is great. I think what you do is good. And uh, we are behind you 100%. Um, well, thank you. I'll keep you posted as we go. Yeah, please do, and let us know anything else coming up or anything that you think you want to get out there. And, and when the, when you do uh, finally release it and uh, get it out there, let us know. We'll, we'll get this uh, get there out to all the L.A. fans anyway. Yep, I appreciate that. I look forward to it. Well, our guest has been Sean Reck, uh, the documentary maker, uh, or soon to be, of convicting a murderer. Thank you for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. See you guys. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.